everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Movie Scramble podcast. It's just myself and John this evening because we're not going to be discussing any new releases which are starting to come out. There are cinemas have reopened, especially in Scotland. We've not looked at something, some classic from Prime or Netflix original that you really need to see. We have went with a classic horror movie from the 90s. Well, I use the term classic, maybe loosely. Cult horror film from the 90s, but not only... The first movie, you're in for a treat. We're going to talk about the whole box set, all four movies. John, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about Wishmaster. Indeed. We'll talk about the 1997 film Wishmaster, directed by Robert Kurtzman and written by Peter Atkins. Beg for your life. Help me! Pray for your soul. But whatever you do, ready to play? Don't make a wish. Wishmaster. Careful what you wish for. Now, I don't know when you first heard of this movie, John, but I first seen this in the video shop back in the day. And the cover caught my eye. It just looked like a 90s horror movie that you would see in a VHS. But it said Wes Craven's name at the top. So that drew me towards it. I just expected to. Now, Wes Craven did produce the movie, but it is marketed as... West Cave and presents Wishmaster, which is, became quite popular. It was quite a popular thing to do in the late nineties, early two thousands. Remember, you had like Quentin Tarantino presents Hostel and things like that. Yeah. When did you first see the Wishmaster? It was in maybe about ten years ago. I it completely passed me by when it was actually getting released. But it was one of these ones that I saw on a streaming service or something, or it was available, and or somebody was talking about it, and I had a quick look at it and thought. Four films? Oh, I don't know about that. It may be a wee bit, a wee bit much because there's usually a track record with these things. But that was kind of the first I'd <laughs> heard of it, but I wasn't really drawn to it in any way at the time. I was, I think I was recommended it maybe about five, six months ago. And with the way that everything went in terms of cinema releases and lockdowns, it was a perfect opportunity to sit and watch them and see what the mild fuss was about, to be honest. Yeah, it was kind of strange, it came out fortuitous how this came about, because I was tidying up at the beginning of the pandemic, just kind of stuck in the house, there's nothing more to do, and I found the box set at the back of a cupboard. And I was like, I haven't seen this in ages. And I remember messaging yourself about it, but you were saying you were planning on watching it anyway. Yeah. And I was like, right. oh, interesting. And then we discussed maybe watching them doing a podcast on it. Kind of, I don't know, I think we were maybe half joking at the time. And then the film popped up on Netflix. Spooky, almost, isn't it? It's almost as, as if it was predetermined. As the plot of the movie will tell you, be careful what you wish for. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you unfamiliar with the movie, it tells a story about an evil djinn, a wish-granting genie who is trapped in a jewel back in the day, back in, what was it? The 1100s, I think. 1100s, yeah. Yeah, some sultan unleashes him, tries to grant some wishes, it tries to ask for some wishes, but the djinn is very, very evil. He will grant your wish. There's a twist to it. It's not necessarily in your best favour, as people unfortunately find out. But a sorcerer trapped him in the jewel, and then decades later, in the then modern time, he is accidentally released from his prison by a appraiser. Mm-hmm. She was a jewel appraiser called Alexandra, played by Tammy Lauren, who I have never seen in anything before or since. 
Same. But I actually, but I also think she's really good in this as well. As I'm not going to have a go at her. I only mention her as being the lead because of the other actors in the movie that people may be more familiar with. So she accidentally unleashes the djinn, who is insistent that she grants him three wishes so he can be freed from his prison and unleash hell on the earth. And he tells her this, which I find really interesting, because... <laughs> It's almost like the James Bond villain telling you his master plan. And yeah. yeah, and it said, he's like, here's my master plan, and I need you to help me with it. It doesn't try to trick her, it doesn't try to kind of corner it just basically tells her straight up. <laughs> I find it very, very bizarre. The Wishmaster himself is played by Andrew Divoff, uh, who I think is absolutely brilliant in this movie. He is just so cheesily over the top. Do you agree? Oh, totally, yes. If you took his performance out of context, you would say that it's really wooden and quite stilted, but he's supposed to be like that because he's not of this earth. He's been around for thousands of years and he's got no interest in blending in with how people talk and what people do. So he is stilted and he is wooden. So he he comes across as being a very individual person, not like anybody else on earth at that time. So yeah, it does look a wee bit daft if you just look at just certain scenes of it. But when you see the whole film, you kind of get the reason why he did that. It's clever in a way. Yeah, I don't think anybody's actually ever described this movie as clever before, but (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, this is a... This is very much a 90s horror movie, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Well, as you said at the start there, it's got Wes Craven's name all over it. And when you actually start the movie properly, it's got a very gory and effects-laden opening scene with the Persian Emperor and him making a wish and all basically all hell breaking loose almost. There's all sorts of things going on there and it's all practical effects as well so it looks really good but it looks very 90s and it's the way that it was shot and everything but yeah it works it's a very good start to it and you think wow if this keeps up this is this is going to be quite something so yes you could you would need carbon dating technology to tell where this film <laughs> came from let's face it yeah everything from the kind of just to the look of the movie so as you say, the, the practical effects, but that's what I like about this movie. It does have a lot of practical effects, and some of them are still still hold up really well. Mm-hmm. What doesn't is the albeit limited use of CGI they do use in the movie. Yes, Again, that, it's very much an 80s movie. Yeah, well, the use of CGI is going to be a, a running theme through this discussion, I think, because there is some poor use in every movie. But yes, there is a certain amount of it within this movie, but I don't think the, the technology was really that developed, that they could make full use of CGI in the way that they possibly wanted, so they were falling back on the use of practical effects, but they obviously had a, a great background in that anyway, all the people that are working there. I mean, the director himself, Robert Kurtzman, he comes from a, an effects background, does he not? He does indeed, yeah. Most famously, for me, most famous for Nightmare on Elm Street 3. There's that sort of the imagination and the, the implementation of the effects, you can kind of trace back to that quite easily because it does look pretty much the same. It's familiar, but it's, it's still imaginative. It's, it's very good use of practical effects, really. It's, it's just very good use of all their time, I think. It, it works well and it stands up. 
it really st- like it stands up now when you're watching it. So uh, you can't really complain about that in any way at all. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned earlier the director or Cutsman, and I think that's maybe his first movie. <clears throat> They directed, what did you say, was known for special effects, mostly. He worked in films like Name on Elm Street, Tremors as well. He worked on that. If you look at his credits, actually, there's some um, uh, quite iconic creature feature movies he's been involved in. And it was written by Peter Atkins, who was most famously known for the Hellraiser sequels, special Hellraiser 2, which is a very good movie. Yes, as we have already discussed. Yes, and Indeed. Yes, please look it up in the podcast archives. Where exactly. We talk about... Just how good Hellraiser 2 actually is. Yes, uh, it had a very good pedigree, I, I thought. And it was interesting for the fact that it was a very strong female lead as mm-hmm. well, which in well, 90s horror films weren't exactly known for having that many strong female leads. There were some out there, obviously, but usually they were reduced to supporting roles and the screaming roles and the damsel in distress or the woman who goes bad or something like that. So it was good to see the fact that the main character was uh, an intelligent and thoughtful person who basically used her intelligence in a way to try and overcome the gin because, as you say, he told her straight up, going to do, so it was up to her to try and do something about it. And while everybody else around her seemed to be sort of standard horror characters and they met their grisly ends or whatever, or they... they reacted in the way that they did she didn't she was a a fairly unique character and like you say it was a really good performance but it was a really good performance because it was a really good character to begin with she had a lot to work with there which is again unusual not so much i mean Wes craven has been known for making female characters fairly strong and all that but for the time there was an awful lot of films out there that just didn't have anything like that at all there's obviously the elements that she doesn't scare easily which is obviously something because you don't get you don't get her screaming all the time and she works very well under pressure so therefore it makes the story more interesting and you're actually drawn into it a little more than you you, you would be if it was a, a lesser character it's quite it was, ah, it, was a, it was an interesting touch i thought what did you think yeah def- definitely i agree with 100 percent. she's not your typical final girl so to speak mm-hmm. and Unlike other movies where, I mean, it does still fall with that kind of horror template where you've got, she's the main focus. You know she is going to be, still going to be the final girl, so to speak. She's the person that has been targeted. If you've got Halloween, for example, you get Jamie Lee Curtis, you get Nancy by Hera Langkamp and Freddy Krueger. You always have that connection. And here you've got the gin and you've got Alexandra. You're right, she's not someone who's like, from right off the bat, she knows about the gin. And she spends the rest of the movie not just running from him and trying to escape or hide, but as you say, trying to find a way to defeat him. Because she's dealing with this creature who's got godlike power. How do you fight that? You can't really, but she does also have the upper hand that how does she use her wishes, for example? How does she be clever in defeating yes. him? Yeah, there's obviously the djinn takes great delight in granting the wishes because he grants the wishes literally. So if someone asks for something, they get what they want, but they may not be exactly what it's, you know, if someone says, oh, you know, make this stop, he usually kills them because then it makes, he says, well, I made it stop. (laughs) That was my interpretation of the the gin's voice. (laughs) Really, really weird (coughs) cadence to his his vocals and everything. So he, he speaks unlike everybody else. He speaks like someone from a previous century. It's not easy. Again, he doesn't try and blend in, but it's, it's quite... 
funny the way that he does that. And then that obviously opens everything up for quite gory interludes, if you like, because these things these things that happen to people, they're not going to be nice, you know, and nobody asks for a puppy, you know. No. Obviously end up with a puppy in fire or something, you know. You know. <laughs> and for the most part, he's, he's preying on people's greed as well. Yes. And it's that kind of way. Some, some of the deaths in this are absolutely grotesque and quite horrifying. But this is supposed to be a fun movie. And it isn't without its humour. Yeah, there's, there's a fair element of that, yes. I mean, just for example, it's like, uh, not going to many spoilers, but the guy wishes for a million dollars and he grants his wish. And the reason he gets a million dollars is because of an insurance clause mm-hmm. that his mum signs and, <laughs> and then she's in a, she's in a plane explosion. <laughs> <laughs> and you see you put that on paper, you're going, why is, that, why is that funny? And you see how it plays out in the scene. It's supposed to be comic. It's a comic effect. And the, the Jin himself, uh, played the buff, he's like a mixture of a Pinhead meets Freddy Krueger, I kind of felt. Mm-hmm. And he's got some cracking one-liners and he's very charming and he's he's a, he's a fun villain. Yes, he enjoys himself. He, he takes his time about getting his ends. You know, he's looking for the three wishes to be granted. But if he has fun along the way, yeah. in, in, amusing himself, because basically he's been stuck in a duel for something like 10 centuries or nine centuries. So he's up for a bit of fun for a while. He's, he's going to enjoy himself. And you're, you're right, it doesn't take itself totally seriously, but it, it does have its gory elements, which make it a little more serious than just a, a straight-up comedy, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not a straight-up comedy. It's, it's not... It, it invites you to laugh with it at certain parts. It's mm. not a comical movie, by any means. Like I say, some of the deaths in that and it are pretty gruesome, and it is pretty violent. But it knows how to balance it. It knows when it's to be a fun death, so to speak. Yes. And it also knows when it's not... Here's you're supposed to be scared. Here's you're supposed to be horrified. Here's a grotesque aspect of it. And there's a scene with Jenny O'Hara, who plays Wendy, and she's like a expert on gins and stuff, um, and Alexander goes to speak to her. I don't want to say too much more, because it is a bit spoilery, but it's a great scene. Mm. And I can mention this without being, being a spoiler, it's also clever how the gin will get people to grant wishes. And there's a scene in particular when he's in the police office, he's playing the police station, and the cop goes, ask him, do you know what I'll wish? And he goes, I'd love to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, such a, it's such an over-the-top, enthusiastic way he delivers a line. He's almost as well turning to the camera and winking. Yeah, that's what it's like. It's so, so much fun. I had so much... I've seen, I've seen this movie loads of times and I had such a great time watching it again. <laughs> when I discovered it. Another thing about the movie, and it's got some amount of cameos. I noticed that, yes. There's quite a number of them, which some of them I didn't get when I saw the film, but obviously looking back on it, there's some really, really good ones. Obviously, the, the main ones, Robert England who plays a, a reasonable... It's more than just a cameo role, I would say, for him. It's more yeah, of a supporting role. He's got a very prominent role in it as the antique dealer. Yeah, and, and of course you've got Tony Todd, who is only in it for well, it's a very short time. He's in it, really, isn't it? But yeah, there's yeah. a whole host of people who are in there as well. It's just it's quite bizarre, having read up on it. It's, it's crazy. I, I really didn't know that Vern Troyer, who was in Austin Powers, he was mini-me in Austin Powers, he was the, the small gin in it. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, obviously I would never recognise him because of the makeup and the prosthetics and everything that he was wearing. But aye, yeah, it's just I think a, a lot of that was probably the the Wes Craven connection as well and the horror connections. They were bringing some of these people in to basically give the film a bit of a leg up in its initial release. Exactly, it wouldn't, it wouldn't do any harm, really, you know. Yeah, it didn't do any harm to see Robert England, uh, Tony Todd, and Kane Hodder on the credits. Kane Hodder obviously played Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 7 to Jason X. He plays security guard in the movie. And it's interesting, you've got Robert England, you've got Freddy Krueger and Jason in this movie before Freddy vs. Jason. Obviously, Kane Hodder didn't play the part in that movie. It's another story. But you've also got Joseph Palato, who was famous for being David Ed. A very, A very... Important role, and did you know? Did you clock who the narrator was at the beginning of the movie? No, I did not. Who was that? It was Angus Scrim, who is known for playing the tall man in Phantasm. Right, right, of course. Yeah, I had recognized the voice, but I couldn't quite place it at the yeah. time. But yeah, that's it's, it's impressive the number of people they got in, it really is. And it adds to it, it just adds to the sort of whole load of the film itself, and it makes it interesting and it makes it so that you're. Once you find these things out, you want to go back and watch it again just to try and catch some of these wee cameos and everything because it's, it's a fun, it's a fun element to it. Something that's unexpected in a horror film, especially something that's sort of a mid-budget horror film, because they're usually just trying to get it done and get it out there. So there's been awful, obviously been an awful lot of thought and a few favors called in in order to get people to do that, and they were obviously quite happy to do it given the fact it was Kurtzman and it was Wes Craven who was running the show here. So very, yeah. very good. Something that I thought was excellent, and it was the score. It was an excellent score. It was one of these sweeping, dramatic scores that made the film seem as if it was <laughs> it was a bigger budget film than it actually was. Because it was, it was, I mean, it was about five million or something it cost to make it. But yeah. because of that, it felt very dramatic, and it really drove the story and elements and all that. And you're thinking, yes, yeah, not very. It's very well thought out. The whole thing was very well thought out. It wasn't the, the best script in the world or anything, but it was thought out and it was delivered really well. So couldn't complain about it whatsoever and I really enjoyed the film. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of the, the score there, Harry Manfredini on the score, who is most famous for Friday the 13th. So again, some more horror, horror royalty involved in this movie. And I just don't think this film goes enough love, <laughs> basically, hence I did a podcast on it, but you've got like... Hellraiser alumni, Hell, the writer from Hellraiser, obviously Andrew Kurtzman wasn't known for being like the directing creative force behind Nightmare on Elm Street and that, but he's got that experience from being involved in those movies. He's learning from Wes Craven yes. instead of directing. And you've got all these cameos from uh, horror royalty come together in this movie. And yeah, just it's, just, it's a nice little collection of who's who in horror, I, I think. Oh, yeah, it works. It works very well. It works a lot better than its rating of 26% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. It definitely does. That's a little low as far as I think. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? It is. It's a bit. Well, you know what it's like. Horror films tend to get panned more than other genres, I would say. Well, maybe not comedies, but yeah, they, they tend to get a bit more of a beating. There's yeah. less work for them out there. It's more niche. Yeah, it's very much a movie that kind of knows its influences, wears its heart on its sleeve, and it's very unapologetic in what it is. Absolutely. And because of that, it works. It's set expectations and it meets them. It doesn't try to overshoot them in any way. It's a small, medium-budget horror film, and it works, and it's fun. 
So you, you can't really get much better than that, let's face it, especially for a 90s horror film. There was, there was an awful lot worse out there at the time. Oh, definitely. So I think I really answered this one, John, but I take it this is going to be uh, recommended for yourself. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I would recommend this film to anybody if they came and said, what would you, you know, if they were going to recommend horror films, then yes, I would definitely recommend this one for anybody to watch exactly well as we said people it's on netflix so you could do worse than a friday saturday night then get a few beers get the pizza in fire up netflix watch wishmaster and just have some fun with that good old 90s horror movie that just doesn't give a fuck now the movie did make a decent return on its investment however they so they get a sequel but the sequel went straight I think it's straight to DVD. I think it was a made-for-TV movie, if I recall. Prepare yourself for the next level of terror. Make your wishes. Wishmaster 2, evil never dies. It's over. Jack Shoulder wrote and directed it. It's Jack Shoulder, uh, most famously known for Nightmare on Elm Street 2. A movie that you could do an entire podcast or podcast on in itself due to its themes, whether intentional or not. But so you got a sequel, and this time the evil Jin, again played by Andrew Devoff, is awakened by a female thief, Morgana. What a name, Morgana. I know. And a movie like this. <laughs> she accidentally awakens him during a botched strawberry. He then decides to take credit for the crime, letting himself be put in prison. Worth there, he can then prey on the prisoners and grant their wishes, feed on their souls, get powerful, blah, 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 blah. You know the plot by now. <laughs> it wants to... Here's a thing about the Fishmaster film that never really explains, though. I don't mind because it's like a horror and you can kind of allow some certain things. He's awakened by the, the person who awakes him. He gives him three wishes. And when those three wishes are granted, he gets to roam the earth and do what he wants. In between that, <laughs> he can just grant wishes while another if people... <laughs> <laughs> I get why it's in the script because I kind of can't say well if you can only grant three wishes there's not going to be much of a body count exactly yes there's a few especially in this film people who who would give them the, the three wishes right away or there's an old drunk for instance near the start if he said what do you wish for and the guy told him he would say right what else and he would tell him that as well he would do three <laughs> wishes quite often and the film would be over in about ten minutes so yes yeah there is a there's there's logic that you can probably drive a bus through, but yeah, let, let's not dwell on that. No, at all. It, it kind of it detracts a wee bit from the film when you when you start poking holes in these things. And let's face it, with some of these discussions on sequels, then you, you've got more things that you can point out before you point at some of the. The, the logical elements that are missing from them. But I don't mind that. I don't, I don't mind about it. I, I've always said this. See if there's something illogical in a movie or a big gaping pothole. If it's entertaining enough, I won't care. And I think with the first Wish Master, that was a kind of case. You go, what about this? That? Who cares? It doesn't matter because it makes sense in terms of the script. It has to get things going. And the kind of movie it is, if you're looking for plot holes and stuff, just maybe go and watch something else. Wish Master 2, on the other hand, I... <laughs> I don't think this is a good film, but I do enjoy it. Yeah. I, I do quite enjoy it. It's not as good as the first one. I did enjoy the second film, but I wholly agree with you. It's not a good film. No. The way that it starts off, you think, oh, well, this could, it's a bit of more of the same. But then suddenly they, they, there's talk of the prophecy. You're going, whoa, 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 what, what, what 
prophecy. What are you talking about? What's, what's going on here? The way that you introduced the second film there by saying he goes to prison, that was a very, very good idea in the part yeah. of the filmmakers by doing that because it, it was very entertaining the way they did it. But there was a reason behind doing that because of the prophecy. The prophecy states that in order to get up to power, he has to have a thousand souls. So he thinks, well, I'll go to prison and I'll get them there. But this was never mentioned in the first film. It was all just, uh, you know, grant me three wishes kind of idea. There wasn't anything to do with that. I think it's got something to do with building up his power so that he can actually enjoy himself when, when it's hell on earth. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what it is, but the way that it was done worked. But yeah, the the logic behind that was kind of all over the place. You're kind of going, wait, so you're, you're changing the whole backstory of this character and what he actually does and what he stands for. None of this was mentioned. They didn't even hint at this in the first film, but... It's right up to the four. They did. They did mention the fact that, like, if the if the three wishes are granted, that all the other gins would come through as well. Yeah, yeah. They just they didn't mention the the thousand the thousand soul power up that you need. You know, nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to, and also to be fair, um, I think he told Alexandra enough of his master plan. Mm, Maybe he kind of caught himself. <laughs> <laughs> Because if he was here, that's oh by the way, I need to get a thousand souls first as well. And she went, okay, then good luck. See you after. Come back, to, come back to me in a few hours. So because of that, there was plenty of opportunity for gore and madness and death and blood and guts and everything. And uh, I think they, they did that pretty well. There, there was some inventive use of granting of wishes and people getting their just desserts by really asking for what they wanted, like the the guy in prison who wanted his lawyer to go fuck himself. And I thought oh, yeah. that was a particularly inventive way without actually really showing you anything. But that was that was clever. And I, I liked the, the wee twist on that because when he went in to see his lawyer, his lawyer was like, yeah, I've got enough evidence. You know, you are out of here today. And then he starts going, oh, oh, oh. The guy's going, oh, no, no, what have I done? You know? So that was, a, it, you know, the, the humour from the first film carried over into that as well. And it, that kind of worked very nicely. In terms of the story itself and the, the main characters and everything, it wasn't quite as strong. Again, it was a, a strong female character who yeah. initially lets them out. What we found here though was that she tended to wear skimpy outfits. There was scenes of her like thrashing about the bed and she was just wearing like whatever, you know, not not very many clothes and you're kind of going, hmm, okay, why are they doing this? And then you realise it's kind of just to use up a wee bit more wee bit of time and they're they're trying to appeal to a certain audience by doing this. And that a lot of that was kind of prevalent in horror and thriller films of the time. There was some elements that you, you probably wouldn't get now. People would question it more now. And viewing it from sort of a, a 2020 perspective, you can kind of go, nah, there's no need for that. You know, what, why are they doing that? It's just a male gaze thing that they're, they're, they're doing just in order to almost de- demean this character. But... In this case, it's the, the main character that you're demeaning, this Morgana character, who she's conflicted, obviously, because at the start of the film, she is involved in this robbery and it goes badly. She obviously escapes, like you say, but she, well, it's not very much of a spoiler because it happens the first couple of minutes. Yeah. She kills a security guard and 
because of that she is seen to be like unclean and unholy because when she's trying to figure out how to outfox the djinn she realizes that she can't do it because she's not pure of heart or anything like that and that was quite a, a, an unsatisfying way to to go i thought it didn't sort of give the character many options and then when they found a way around it that was completely unsatisfying and it didn't work very well either i mean i know i'm trying not to i'm trying to skip around things basically what the way i can put it is she redeemed herself in one way and then she didn't redeem herself at all because basically she had sex with a priest now that doesn't make you a pure person (laughs) so that didn't really work particularly well for me i thought that's not that's not something you would normally do in order to try and get onto a righteous path. Yeah, it just kind of felt like a case of, like, right, let's just put a sex scene in to try and spice things up. Uh, yeah. Something that was very, all, all the kind of things were missing for the first movie. Mm. It didn't do that to the, the lead actress or the lead character. Yes. They managed to avoid that, as you said, just make that really kind of strong, tough, taking no shit film type of, type of heroine. There's not in the way of many cameos in this movie. The, we don't have like well-known movie villains turning back up, but it is noticeable for Tom Tiny Lister playing one of the guards. I know this guy. He played a professional wrestler in the film No Holds Barred, starring Hulk Hogan. He plays Zeus. They then turned it into a real-life, so to speak, storyline in the wrestling, where he came in as a professional wrestler. But he's also, also in my opinion, quite well-known for being the prisoner in The Dark Knight, who throws the remote over the boat. Yeah. If you all to his IMDb, for example, you would see a lot of movies he's in that you recognise him from. But yeah, I totally forgot he was in this. And no offence to him, but there's no there's nothing really else recognisable that'll make you go, oh, that's such and such compared to the first movie. I mean, you've got like who's who of horror royalty. I thought the prison stuff was great. It was a lot of fun. I felt the stuff outside the prison, the wheels fell off a little. I did enjoy the stuff with the Russian gangsters and the casino scene is great. Especially yeah. for a TV movie. Yeah, that, that does work particularly well. It's quite a, a well-done conclusion. It ties things up nicely in that it allows him to start collecting a number of souls. That's one of the problems it has. He's got a limited number of souls he can actually collect while he's in prison. So by getting out and then getting, getting this casino element, then you've got hundreds of willing participants there. That does work well. And again, that throws back a little to the very opening scene of the first film in that there's a lot of practical effects in there and they work particularly well. There's a a roulette wheel which turns into this almost like a scythe that rolls about on the floor and people are getting chopped up and all sorts of things. And that that Mm -hmm. works really well and it looks good. Do you know, uh, know, uh, Andrew Devoff never splinked in any scenes. That kind of makes sense. It's that intensity about the yeah. performance from him. I mean, you could, I, I, I'm surprised this guy hasn't done more. He's, 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 he's a working actor. He's done loads of things since. But I mean, in terms of like, uh, like Robert Englund, for example, who you'll recognise in other roles and go, oh, he was in House of a Thousand Maniacs. Or, was, it House, was it House of 10,000 Maniacs? Ten thousand. I can't remember these films all similar titles. <laughs> Ten thousand maniacs, I think it was. The mayor it was, it was the mayor of Pleasant Valley. You ever seen that? No, no, never seen. I would remember. Oh, it's mental. <laughs> oh, it's nuts. It's nuts. Uh, it's a couple of people that you'd recognise. It's, it's, it's a fun movie. Uh, Town for Cannibals. Oh, nice. 
Yes, mental. Um, but I digress. Yeah, but I just thought Andrew Devolf was so good in this. It's a shame that he didn't really do much else in terms of recognisable roles after it. Yes, he was. He was consistent in both the films, and he was a, a very good antagonist. And um, he, his performance was pretty much the same across the two. And that's not a criticism. He had a, a level of intensity which I didn't realise. He didn't blink, but obviously that adds to it. And he was a, a very good bad guy, a very good villain, and. You enjoy his performance, enjoy his time on screen because you know you're going to get some sort of payback from it. It's always interesting to see how these guys actually approach these roles. But he's obviously set himself up quite early and stuck to that, not changed yeah. it across the two. And and that's good because there's this, obviously there's a continuity line between the two films with the, the statue that he was hidden in and the first one with the jewel was hidden in. And then the, that's actually referenced during the robbery and the second film and all that. Stuff. So yeah, there's a, a lot of continuity there. And because of that, it strengthens his performance as he's going on. And yeah, he's, he's he has a great time in this. You can tell that he really enjoyed that role. Yeah. Would you recommend it? I would, just for the the fun factor and the, the fact that it is a fairly decent follow-up to Wishmaster and there's a, a through line to it, it's good to see both films. There is a drop-off in quality, no doubt about that. The production values aren't quite as high, different people involved in it. But yes, I, I would say, yeah, give it a watch just for completeness. Not, not only just for completeness, but yeah, definitely if you've watched the first one, Give this one a watch as well. You won't be disappointed. You? I 100% agree yeah. with that. So it means it's, it's, it's not the greatest horror sequel of all time. Like I say, I don't even think it's necessarily like a good movie, but it's fun. And I've seen the first one. There's no harm in watching this. I don't think it's on Netflix, unfortunately. But yeah, if you get a chance to see it, see it. And that takes us on to Wishmaster 3. The only thing greater than his power. Three wishes. Otherwise, the souls closest to her will perish. Is the evil behind it? You strike me as a man who could break a girl's heart. Do you wish me to break your heart, young lady? Oh, yes, please. Which, unfortunately, also, um, we don't have Andrew Devoff returning as the djinn. And the reason being that they took so long getting the script together that they eventually gave him it. He just didn't like it. <laughs> he didn't like the original draft. And he wasn't a fan. He meant that no coming back. Which is fair enough to him. I mean, that's a guy with some principle as well. As opposed to just saying, yeah, I'll just do it. That's what I'm known for. He's like, nah, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. And he was right in my opinion. Although I do think he would have made that a better movie. Also, so it's a two double edged sword in that one, yes. Yeah, I can understand why he didn't come back in terms of the role, but uh, he was sorely missed, he definitely was. The film was nowhere near in terms of the production values or the, the rating that the first two were. And the first two, the second one wasn't particularly high, but this there was a noticeable drop in this film yeah it basically changed the genre with this film as well before you were talking about horror fantasy this one changed it so it was more emphasis on action rather than horror i thought that's never a good thing when you kind of change midstream i thought that the well have we talked about the story itself I haven't even mentioned Not that. yet, no. I just made a connection, though. Andrew Devoff actually didn't reprise his role. He wrote a draft for this, and the producers didn't go with it. They went with the other writer, and he hated the other script. So, so he's still, he still left for the, for the same reason, but I didn't realise he'd actually written a draft first. 
that'd be interesting. I'd like to see what that was like. It would be, yes. It would be interesting to see what he'd actually come up with for moving that, that character forward. Because let's face it, by the second and third film in any series, it's usually focusing on the main antagonist, especially the horror franchises. It's it's moving away from the, the likes of the Jamie Lee Curtis character in Halloween and moving yeah. more towards the Michael Myers. Obviously not. In the, uh, Halloween was probably a bad example because Halloween 3 was a completely different film to uh, the first two films, but that's uh, a digression. So what was the plot of the, the plot for what it was of this third film? Yeah, I mean, this is from IMDb, I'm taking this one, but the evil gen is back at it again. This time we can havoc on the students of Illinois Baxter University. And right off the bat, you're like, okay, this has just got horror cliche 101 written here. He's going to start targeting co-eds at uni. And this time he is accidentally released from his prison because nobody ever wants to wake this guy up on purpose by Diana Collins, a student at the university. Of course, when the gen played by AJ Cook, when the Jinn is released this time, he's obviously not played by Andrew Devoff, who we've mentioned is gone, but instead by John Novak, in creature form at least anyway, because not long after being released, he grants a wish to a college professor by the name of Professor Joe Barash, who's played by Jason Connery. You know what happens when he grants wishes, it never ends well, blah, 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 he kills him, but it takes his identity for the majority of the movie. So for most of the movie, you've got Jason Connery playing the gin. And I don't think he's that bad. Mm, that's kind of debatable. I thought he was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was, he was really good. And he's a, he's a decent actor. I've seen him in a few things. But the script here didn't lend him any sort of leeway to do anything with it at all. It was a, a very poorly sort of sketched out character. Like you say, it was like a co-ed slasher type movie and for the fact that it was on screen for quite a lot of time he didn't have an awful lot to play with no in terms of his character it was very one note it really was didn't didn't seem to work very well at all unfortunately they missed that kind of intensity that andrew divoff brought in the first two films it just wasn't the same type of character it should have been but it, it was just nowhere near the same which was a real shame. Yeah, it was a fair point, actually. I mean, it's like there's all very well like an actor bringing his personality to the role and trying to do something different. This is a different character completely. It feels like this doesn't seem like the same gin from the previous movies in any way. Even when John Novak's playing them in Creature Makeup, it does so with a lot more seriousness and a lot more. This is a movie that doesn't laugh at itself in the same way. I don't know so itself. It doesn't take itself, it takes itself a lot more seriously. In the previous two and you kind of wonder why it's decided to go down this route three movies in a fraction of the budget made for tv then now decide to try and do a serious movie yeah it doesn't work in that respect whatsoever i thought the when he was on screen as the gin it, it didn't work the the effects the rubber that he'd obviously been poured into just it didn't look anywhere near as powerful it, it looked as if it was like sort of sweaty plastic he was under for most of it which wasn't really a good look and the character was it, it, it altered it wasn't the same in any way of you that first scene that you talked about where the professor is granted a wish the, the wish he's granted is he wants to be loved by a beautiful woman so these two beautiful women come in and start getting to it with him now the gin is standing there watching 
and his hands are all moving about and all that, and he's got a strange look in his face. And you're going, what what is he doing here? What's it? You know, it's it's almost as if he's orchestrating this thing, you know, oh, and all this sort of stuff. And that kind of puts you off right from the start. It's just, no, it, it was just absolute nonsense. Again, with this film, it completely changes the mythology because mm-hmm. this time the fire ruby is in a box. There was no mention of any box before, you know, before it was it was hidden inside a statue. So where did the box come from that had been hidden in and obviously there was some sort of secret combination to get into it? That didn't make any sense. So you were going, what's going on here? This has been delivered from somewhere. It was a museum piece or something. So that kind of jars you. And then, like you say, it's it turned into this sort of soft core romp in places as well. There was, yeah. you know, the sex scenes and topless women for apparently no reason whatsoever. It, it was obviously done just to get a certain audience in again. It went that stage beyond the second film. It just decided, right, this is what we're going to do. It was, but it was totally unnecessary, I thought. For a film that was only 90 minutes long, it felt like a long film, unfortunately. I yeah. didn't get the same pleasure I got from the first two, which is a real shame, you know? Yeah. And then, I mean, how many horror films like this can you say there was a car chase in it? <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I couldn't believe it. And that, again, that was done because, that showed its production values because that was done really, really badly, that car chase, because the professor's chasing him. He gets on top of the car and he's hanging on and trying to sort of get them, get the two people who are in the car. And I don't know why I noticed this, but it was really prominent. At one point, he nearly falls off the car, so he's dangling at the side. And you get a close-up of his shoes. That's the shoes that the stuntman's wearing. It's not the shoes that the character's wearing. Because when he falls off the car, he's wearing completely different shoes. He's wearing like rubber-soled ones when he's dangling off the car, and then he's got his leather-soled ones. And it's a close-up both times, because when he comes off the car, he, his legs get broken, if you remember, mm. and they're sort of splayed all over. And he's, he's, his shoes are right at the front. And I'm thinking, I shouldn't be concentrating on yeah. his where in this film there's something seriously wrong when you're doing that and it, it drags you kicking and screaming out of any sort of enjoyment that you had of it when you're you're thinking about that sort of thing and it just yeah uh, the thing as well is this, this this feels like two different movies so for me they've went right we're gonna we're gonna take what's made the first two movies enjoyable remove that try and go for a more serious horror movie that's totally deadpan with a straight face then halfway through, changing as you mentioned, some kind of fantasy action movie, where this isn't much of a spoiler, but Diana makes a wish to summon the Archangel Michael to fight the Jinn and his sword. And his sword, <laughs> yes. And I'm just like, okay, if I was watching an episode of Buffy and maybe Angel, I'd be quite into this. But where did this come from? Exactly. Yes, it was, that was a real, and it, of course. He's a very good-looking archangel, you know, and he comes in and he says, "Ah, oh, we we meet again, Wishmaster, and all this." <laughs> and, then, and, then <laughs> and then it's a really rubbish fight. You would think if they've met so many times, you'd have an idea how to fight them. But then he just hits them over the head with a pew because they're in the church, and you're going, "Come on, come on, Archangel Michael, get it together here," you know. But yeah, you're totally right. You're just excited that the thought it gives you the idea that they fought throughout history, some kind yeah. of like. Uh, ancient enemies locked in some kind of eternal battle. Mm-hmm. They just didn't think to mention it until the third movie. 
yeah. halfway through. <laughs> that. Dude, it's not even, it's not seen the first movie. I saw, I'm glad to put the duel in three of that Archangel Michael. And let's be honest, it is over the top as the first movie was. It took something quite impressive to pull that off. And they don't do it here. And which is unforgivable for me is the entire third act is during the day. Yes, totally takes away from it, doesn't it? It just doesn't it, work at any point. It looks, it looks like an episode of like. It's like a bad police procedural. Yes, yeah, it's a CSI or something. Yes. It doesn't even have production values of CSI is something. No, that's why I was trying to pick of something else. Yes, yes. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like Murder She Wrote or something. If, if you can imagine a car chase in Murder She Wrote, that's what it would be I, like. Actually, that is what it's like. And that's nothing against Murder She Wrote. It's a great programme for its time, but it's very, very dated. And this is a movie that was made like 20 years after Murder She Wrote and feels like an episode of it. And I have nothing against a horror movie being set during the day, but it has to be a very good horror movie to pull off. Like Candyman, for example. Yeah. That's a movie that shouldn't work set during the daytime. And the fact that it is makes it even more terrifying. This doesn't work. But at this point, it's not even a horror movie. They've, they've changed their mind what kind of movie this is. So I'm not trying to scare you anymore. I don't know what they're trying to do. Yeah, I think they kind of got lost about halfway through and then thought, how are we going to wrap this up? So they just did it as quickly and as cheaply as possible, which obviously involved daytime, everything to do with that. And it was a completely unsatisfying ending as well. I thought. It was terrible. Oh, it was really, just, really, really bad. It just ends. Yeah. It's a film, I, I wouldn't like to spoil it for anybody, but it's a terrible ending. <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen the Simpsons episode with uh, Pucci? Mm-hmm. Yes. The Home of And they write about the show by saying, I have to go now, my home planet needs me. Yes. <laughs> That's the end of this movie. <laughs> oh man, it was just awful. It was really bad. So I take it that we're in agreement here. Would you recommend this film? Unless you have bought the Wishmaster box set, I can yes. see no reason to watch this. Yeah, even then you would probably use this, this one as a coaster for your tea while you watch the first two films. It's a, it's a <laughs> very bad movie. <laughs> I like that. <sighs> well... That was Wishmaster 3. And if you think things are going to get better with Wishmaster 4, you, <laughs> you're, you're unfortunately mistaken. There are legends we can't believe. Who are you? I can grant you anything you desire. Evils we can't imagine. What happened to you last night? You might say I was reborn. And wishes we should never make. What do you wish for? To be the kind of man that you want me to be. Wishmaster 4. Oh, God. It was a plot of this movie again. I can't remember. Let's find out. I gave this one a watch this afternoon just before we come on, so it is relatively fresh. A young couple move into a new house. They christen the house by having sex almost right away. And then it cuts to three years later and the guy's in a wheelchair. (laughs) 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 And the, the wife is trying to get compensation for the husband because he was in a motorcycle accident, which they say was not his fault. So she has a lawyer on hand. And this lawyer is obviously a very sleazy guy and he's obviously uh, trying to get into her pants. So he gives her a gift, which is a box. It's not the same box in three, but it's a box and it falls to the floor and guess what falls out of it? Fire Ruby. Woman picks it up. (laughs) And there we go. It goes from there. The gin itself appears to the lawyer, grants him a wish, kills him, takes his face, 
which I've never understood. He does that a few times. He's able to shapeshift however he wants, but he takes, he takes the lawyer's face and becomes him in order for the three wishes to be granted again. This time it's sort of the, the final the final go around almost. It's really to unleash the rest of the djinn into the, the world. Now, the twist in this film, and I'm, I'm going to spoil this a little bit. The lawyer is obviously very sleazy to begin with. He's obviously even sleazier as the wishmaster. He gets her to ask for her three wishes round about the 45 minute mark in the film. Now, I thought that was going, this can yeah. right now. There's another whole half of the film. And basically, the final wish, he says, oh, th- this is a bit of a conundrum. Only you, as in the girl, can grant this wish, which is a crock of shit. He can do whatever he wants. He's the wishmaster. Basically, he's fallen in love with her and he doesn't want things to change, which is a real departure in terms of the wishmaster franchise because before it was all about him being this playful character who liked to fool people into making wishes and he would take a great pleasure from granting them and almost absorbing the the nastiness and the the gore that came from it and then obviously going after the the woman for the three wishes and uh, i will i will lend everything for you but i'll give you everything what you want in between this is a total change because he's kind of like right guys yeah 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 she, she's done what she said she was going to do but you know i think there's a wee clause in here and everybody's going no 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 <laughs> what are you talking about just just grant the wish you're the wish master and he's going no 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 and it's purely because that he's fallen in love with her which is not something you would expect really no and it just again totally takes you straight out of the movie even in the context of this movie let's just pretend there's never, there's never been any wishmaster movies and you're just watching this as a standalone thing it still seems a bit weird because it all happens so fast yes. and i can buy jason thompson's sam as falling in love with her because he's a human he's quite a handsome guy but when it cuts to your full caution that wish master it just you're not buying it at all and not at all and jason thompson actually who played the, the lawyer he won a daytime emmy this year for? for the young and the restless all right okay and he'd been nominated five times for outstanding lead actor in the drama series for general hospital interesting so I mean, he he, it's fairly decent i mean he's a decent actor he came across better than the wishmaster in the third film <laughs> the human in- incarnation of the wishmaster so because he didn't he was he was closer to the first one than he was to the wishmaster in the yeah film. it was there's a certain stillness about that that character in the first, second, and fourth film, they don't express themselves an awful lot. So that works because it's creepier when you're not doing something than it is when you're going nuts and getting involved in car chases and all sorts of stuff. And basically telegraphing everything that you're going to do by saying, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put a stick through your heart, whatever. And they don't do that. So it was a better character, but it was just, oh, it was... I mean, if you if you thought the budget for the third film was low, this one was even lower. It just, oh, man... Yeah, well, these films were directed back to back uh, by Chris Angel, not the to be confused with the famous magician Chris Angel, which would be interesting. Uh, but yeah, these films are filmed back to back. I think it was a, a weekend between shooting, and as you say, it really shows. It really does show. I do think this film is marginally better than the previous one, just because it does try something a little different that works in the sense that yeah, the wishes get granted quite early on, so. Mm-hmm. 
the thing that the gin has been longing for for three movies now in the fourth one, it does mix up a little. But then you've got the the character of the boyfriend who's in a wheelchair for part of the film. And obviously, one of the wishes that get granted is going to be so he can walk again. But even then, he mopes about for the whole film. You know, I, <clears throat> basically, he moped about at the start because his wife was ignoring him and she, he thought that she was having an affair. And then when that did, and he thought he wasn't a man enough because he was sitting in a wheelchair all the time. So he, he had nothing to give her. But then when he gets his, the power of his legs back, He's still moping about, and you're going, oh, for fuck's sake, man, you know, get it together, you know? What's going he's on here? Like, he's such a damn squibby character to the point you're actually rooting for the Wishmaster. <laughs> yeah, when, when uh, the, the third act comes around and certain things happen, you kind of go, yeah, I'm kind of glad that happened. That's, that's, that's probably a good thing. It's so... I think it's not a good movie. Oh, no, it's, 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 <laughs> it's worse than not a good movie. It's... Like you say, it's better than the third one, but it's not that much better than the third one, to be honest. It's, uh, it's... Here's the thing is, here's the thing is we are about it, and uh, again, if this is kind of spoilery, I don't think you'll care at this point, because uh, if you really want to see Wishmaster 4 and 3, for that matter, let it be on your head. <laughs> they kind of tie in something, or you think they tie in something from the previous movie, where an angel appears, and it wants to kill Lisa to prevent the third wish of being granted to her. Yeah. And you think to yourself, what's this time back at the last one? Is Michael coming back? But it's not. It's another random angel who's never been mentioned before. Yeah, this is the, the angel who is basically there to stop the Wishmaster. But, or stop, in this case, he's because she is still alive after she's she hasn't quite granted, or, or three wishes haven't been granted. He comes in to to kill her, and again, it's it's this it's another underwear model that comes in wielding a big sword, and well, he's he's awful as well. Again, he's supposed to be this warrior, this warrior angel, and he's really bad at sword fighting. <laughs> again, and it is comical to see him against the gin because the gin obviously is in full rubber makeup at this point. So it's an underwater, it's an underwear model versus a man in a big rubber suit. And it's it's comical to actually watch it. And like I, I said, it just dropped in there. Just totally dropped in. And it's only dropped in because the gin is having a conversation with all his pals who are still in hell in a, a badly CG'd fire pit that opens up at the front door. And they say, you know this bloke's been released, and everybody in the audience must have been going, what bloke? <laughs> Wait, but he says yeah. that, oh yeah, yeah, ah, well, don't worry, I will kill him. And it's, yeah. it's where's this guy been for the last four movies? Yes, exactly, yeah. And they never mentioned any clauses at the end of the, you know, no. there wasn't any of this, you know, you get your three wishes granted, but oh, by the way, there's a big boss you need to fight before you actually get hell on that. <laughs> they never mentioned that at all. <laughs> I know that, it kind of turns into like, uh, some kind of strange homage to the Terminator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where he, I think the character is actually credited as a hunter and he has to kill the female lead to, to pre- in this case, prevent the apocalypse, opposed to Terminator, is to prevent the apocalypse from being <laughs> stopped. Yeah. But why not go after the wish? Why not go after the djinn and kill him? Kill the djinn and then no more wishes. And it's the fact that it's like he turns up to stop the third wish from being granted. But what if her wish was easier to grant? Yes, I. That's it. It's all over the place in terms of that because yeah, his whole reason for being then would be null and void because if she, she said, "Oh, I want, I want a million dollars and a dog in his lap," and there you go, woof, you know, and 
he would hardly, hardly have time to sort of appear in this realm before you know all hell broke loose. Literally, all hell broke loose. So yes, I exactly. And again, as, as I mentioned earlier, you can you can forgive plot holes and things not making sense if it's entertaining. You, don't, I'm not forgiving anything here. No, definitely not. That's they, they've had a problem with this film on how to end it. And they thought, well, what did they do previously? Or oh, they brought an angel in. Let's just bring another something similar in and do that. Nobody's really going to watch this film anyway, so it'll be all right. It was that another person as well that thought, he looks a bit like the guy in the previous movie. He did, yeah. It was <laughs> very similar to him, yeah. <laughs> similar it's similar look about him, similar build and everything, yeah. I was just checking this guy's uh, filmography, and he's, he's, he's actually done a lot in terms of being a working actor. He's most known for... The Mutant X, remember that show? Yes, I do. Yes, eh? it was in that. It was in a few episodes in Charmed and Melrose Place later on. But before this movie, which you mentioned, the, the underwear model, it was in Baywatch Hawaii and a film called The Chippendales Murder. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. Oh, it, oh, it, was, it was in the Scorpion King 4 as well and 3. Wow. Oh, Christ. <laughs> as long as he's getting work, that's the important thing. Yes, yeah, it seems to be. Well, he was in that programme Continuum as well. That was a pretty decent sci-fi TV show. I think it was on here for a while, but it was, it was all right, yeah. I remember that. Don't really remember the guy being in it, though, unfortunately. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I really need to ask, but would you recommend this film to people you like, never mind people you don't like? No, I think after Wishmaster 2, there's no point in watching 3 and 4. I mean, we, we have discussed this, this, the Hellraiser sequels, uh, about a slog they could be. But even at that point, you've been, and you know what, you've came as far as well just watching them. There's less movies here. Less than half in that franchise, and I would only recommend watching two out of the four of them. Same with the Hellraiser films, there's usually something that you can take away from them. Here, there was very little after the second film that you would you could take away at all. There was there's more far more wrong with it than there was right with it. It's, it, it. They weren't enjoyable watches, they weren't bad films you could enjoy watching, they were just bad films. No, just bad movies. And you're right, I think the big thing that's missing and to compare to Hellraiser. Or even like later Friday the Thirteenth, and Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, which are pretty terrible. You've still got Robert England, and you've still yes. got Doug Bradley. Now I know we haven't discussed Hellraiser nine and ten yet for the upcoming third part of our Hellraiser special, but when you've got a bad Hellraiser movie, you've still got Doug Bradley bringing something to you. A bad Nightmare on Elm Street movie, at least Robert England's there to keep your attention. Taking out Andrew Devoff and replacing them, nah, it's yeah, it was a very bad move. Really was, and you kind of think to yourself, if Andrew Devolf is in both these movies, a they've been totally different movies based on his style of acting and the way, the, the way he portrayed the character. They could have been more fun, more tongue in cheek. Instead, we get these dodges that are just really stony faced and straight laced. There's no fun to be had. No, not at all. It's like a bad soap opera. Yes, I and as you say, a lot of it was soap opera characters that seemed to be and it based on their filmography and that they came from soap backgrounds and went back to it. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing because you got an, an awful lot of good acting there, but yes, they were a bit rubbish, to be perfectly honest. Now, Andrew Devoff did express interest in coming back. I think he was interviewed in 2017 and he expressed interest in maybe coming back to the role. He acknowledged the fact that the films after he was involved in them weren't particularly good and I don't think anybody would argue with him. But he said that he would quite like to see where the story would go and 
obviously his character would go. So he's obviously trying to get a bit of work and everything. But yeah, would you watch something like that? Oh, one hundred percent. If there's a crowdfunder, I donate money to it. <laughs> well, why not? I suppose so. As a franchise overall, it's kind of a 50-50 split, would you say? Very much so, yeah. Entirely straight down the middle. I would agree with that, yeah. Which is, well, 50% is okay, but you kind of want to be a bit more out of your horror franchises, let's face it, don't you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've seen the first movie, and I think I've seen the second one before I knew it was a three and four. And HMB or Virgin back in the day, seen the box set, and went, yeah, I'll take a punt in that. And I remember being quite excited about seeing the other two. And it was, oh, there's good stuff with angels and that in it. And I love that kind of mythology aspect. And I was like, Jesus, he's under <laughs> these films fall off a, a serious cliff after the second one. I mean, I mean, to the point you kind of wonder, why did they even bother making them? Because clearly nobody in them seemed interested. Yeah. That sounds harsh. That sounds harsh. But I mean, watching for yourself, people, am I wrong? You're not wrong. You're definitely not. And because these last couple were almost made for TV ones, then you've got no idea really how much they, they cost to make, how much they actually made in the reception, apart from what sort of critics, uh, polls and things like IMDb, which have not been particularly kind to them. So you, that, there must have been a reason behind making three and four. And obviously Wishmaster is a name, so therefore it's one that's ripe for remake given the fact that there are plenty of other films out there getting remakes obviously you're looking at halloween's been very successful Candyman was due to come back just after the lockdown started which obviously we've got that to look forward to that looks pretty interesting i thought but Definitely. yeah I, I, I think this is one that would be ripe for a wee reboot or a reimagining get some maybe I think get so. the original people involved again and it would be it could be good maybe get a second film with uh, the, the lead character from the first film see if she, she, she'll come back and reprise her role as well i think she could you know maybe not necessarily as the, as the lead but some kind of like a sage-like figure who departs knowledge yes yeah i, I would kind of work i'd watch that and yeah as you see there's some of the other kind of franchise blumhouse blumhouse if you're watching which we know you're listening. if you're listening we should know you are good yeah. in fact i'm going to tweet them see if they're up for it i think they do great excellent oh. We hope you enjoyed our Wishmaster special. If you've seen the movies, I'm sorry. If you haven't seen them, now you know what ones to watch. But I know what you like out there. You'll watch one and two, and you'll be tempted to watch three and four, and that's on you. We've warned you. That's entirely on you. Well, as you know as well, cinemas have reopened up here, so we're going to get back to doing what we do best. We'll still record part three of our Hairbizzer trilogy special, John. What films have you sort of watched? I have still to watch the last four. I haven't seen oh. seven, eight, nine, and ten. There's ten, isn't there, of them? Total? Yeah. Yes, yeah, I've still to watch the last four in preparation for this. I will get onto that with a certain amount of haste. So, Because <laughs> obviously our audience is clamouring for the third part of our Hellraiser discussion. So, yes, I think I should. Uh, from what you've said and what you've hinted at i've got uh, quite a lot to look forward to may not be all good but i've got a lot to look forward to which is interesting well i can assure you that the remaining heroes of movies every single one of them is better than wishmaster three or four nice that's a good start as indeed well, thanks everybody for joining in john again thanks for your time yep. had a lot of fun had more fun more fun talking about wishmaster three and four than i did watching it trust me <laughs> <laughs> same yeah Thanks, everybody. And remember, please like the podcast and subscribe to us. Leave us a review wherever you 
get your podcasts, you can find us on social media at Movie Scramble on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can email us the email address podcast at moviescramble.com. Fuck's one day I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a damn email address right. If this was Wishmaster, I would say I wish I could get email address right and my head would explode or something. So you know how you get a hold of us. Please do. If there's any crazy, terrible horror franchise you would like to see us, you'd like to torture us with and put us through watching it, let us know. Anything for yourself, John? Any shout outs? No, not at the moment. I'm just really looking forward to getting back to cinemas in some capacity, which is long overdue. I am also looking forward to being able to talk about films that have come out of the cinema as well, because that's always interesting when we, we get the whole gang together and are able to do that. So, yes. Good times ahead for everybody. Indeed. And everybody, please stay safe out there. Things are starting to return back to some kind of same normality, but the virus hasn't gone anywhere. So just be careful in how you go about your business. And please, for the love of God, wear a mask. Seconded, yes. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Good night.